Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers on mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. One night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel. Samuel answered, Here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. But Eli said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. So he went and lay down. Again the Lord called, Samuel. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. My son, Eli said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. A third time the Lord called, Samuel. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. Then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. So Eli told Samuel, Go and lie down. And if he calls you, say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. The Lord came and stood there, calling as at the other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, Speak, for your servant is listening. And the Lord said to Samuel, See, I am about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears about it tingle. At that time, I will carry out against Eli everything I spoke against his family from beginning to the end. For I told him that I will judge his family forever because of the sin he knew about. His sons blasphemed God and he failed to restrain them. Therefore, I swore to the house of Eli, the guilt of Eli's house will never be atoned for by sacrifice or offering. Samuel lay down until morning and then opened the doors of the house of the Lord. He was afraid to tell Eli the vision. But Eli called him and said, Samuel, my son. Samuel answered, Here I am. What was it that he said to you? Eli asked, Do not hide it from me. May God deal with you, be it ever so severely, if you hide from me anything he told you. So Samuel told him everything, hiding nothing from him. Then Eli said, He is the Lord, let him do what is good in his eyes. The Lord was with Samuel as he grew up, and he let none of Samuel's words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba recognized that Samuel was attested as a prophet of the Lord. The Lord continued to appear at Shiloh, and there he revealed himself to Samuel through his word. And Samuel's word came to all Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. How are we all doing today? Yeah, that's a very, very nice answer. Very convincing. Well, morning, and if you're here for the first time, can I say a big welcome to you? My name is um, it's Femi, and we started a series, a new series, about sharing, well, I don't know, what's the name of the series again? Huh? The Sent Ones, yes, Sent Ones. Um, you can tell I didn't come up with the name. Well, do we think it's a good name? Yeah? Actually, I came up with it. Uh, yes. 
moment of inspiration. All right, so the sent ones, and we are really looking at what it means, this identity that God has um, given to us as Christians in that we are sent out into the world. He calls us out of the world, but he also sends us out into the world. The world. So he started, we started last week, Emmanuel Prite, a wonderful message to us last week, and so we just want to continue. We looked at um, the commissioning of Moses, and now we're looking at the commissioning of Samuel. Um, let me start by saying, um, you know, a singer once um, sang a song. He said, teacher, don't teach me nonsense. Well, how many of us know that song? All right. How many of us are teachers here? The Lord will not allow you to teach nonsense. Amen? It reminds me of a time when, a couple of years ago, I, um, I had the, there was a Bible study that I used to lead um, in Manchester. Francis also was part of that. He too uh, was one of the leaders. And it was wonderful. It was a wonderful time because I had this wonderful opportunity where I was able to teach as much nonsense as I could, and the people loved listening to the nonsense. You know, they, they took everything in because apparently I was very good at dropping revelations and all of those things. And everything was going on very well, right? They kept taking everything in until one faithful day. On that faithful day, I was in the middle of dropping one of those, you know, um, wonderful revs again. You know that kind when you just drop it, everybody like, mm, mm. And some one useless fellow would just stand up and say, preach to me, preach to me. Like, what were you doing before? <laughs> so I was setting the thing up. I'd set it up very well. Uh, no, I was still about to set up before I got to the place. So in my setup, you know, I just dropped one factual bomb. I now said, oh, you remember like how God called Samuel when he was five years old? And then, you, you know when people are tracking with you. You, you know when they're already waiting for you to drop the thing. And all of a sudden, people's eyes started looking like, uh, like well, you know, when God called Samuel when he was five. And then one bold person there now said, that, that's, not, that's not true. Ah. That's not true. I'll tell you something that, I, I, you, you know the Bible more than me. So I now started, I said, it is true. They went back, then more of them got bolder and said, no, no, it's not there. I said, my credibility is at stake. So I now went into the Bible to show them how God called Samuel. <laughs> how God called Samuel when it was fine. I kept searching, searching, said this pattern. I was, I was looking for it and I couldn't find it. Turn to your neighbor and say, avoid error. I went back home. So somehow I found a way of just like, you know, eh, it's all these things that God reveals to people like us that are teachers. They don't, it's not in the Bible that you, you have. It's in their head. I found a way of getting out of it. I went back. I remember searching, 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 and I did not find it. So I now asked myself, how is it that this thing came to me that God recalled Samuel when he was five? And then I remembered in my Sunday school class when I was a young boy, they were trying to teach us about hearing God. They were trying to teach us that even at your own age, you can hear God. And I remember the woman, I will not call her name because you may check it. Like, I can remember like night and day. She just said, even at your age, God can speak to you. Don't you know that God spoke to Samuel when he was five years old? I pray that the good intentions of people in your childhood do not embarrass you in your adulthood. <laughs> However, bigger than the factual error in what she said was an, like, an interpretive error on this passage. Because while it is true that God spoke to Samuel here, the focus on this passage isn't really, or it's less about God speaking to Samuel and more about Samuel speaking for God. Look at verse 20. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba recognized that Samuel was attested as a prophet of the Lord. The Lord continued to appear, to Samuel, to appear at Shiloh, and he revealed himself to Samuel through his word, and Samuel's word came to all Israel. That's how it concludes. It's more about Samuel speaking for God than Samuel hearing God. The former is quite important. We need to hear God speak to us, but also the latter is equally as important. Which takes me to an, uh, uh, you've read it before, but it's a passage that completely astonishes me. 
I don't know if any time for those of us who are Christians, you know, sometimes we read certain things and we can quote it and just say, yes, that's what the Bible says. But it doesn't hit us. The, the huge impact of this passage is in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, 20. I sort of shortened it. Listen to what he says. You're a Christian. If anyone is in Christ, he's what? New creation has come. If anyone is in Christ, new creation has come. So you are a new creation. New creation has started. The old has gone. The new is here. All this, that is the new creation and every other thing that has been said, all that is from God who, who did what? Reconciled us to himself through Christ. So in other words, we who were once enemies of God have now become the friends of God through the message of the reconciliation to God in Christ. Are we still tracking? Then he says, he committed to us the same message that called us and made us friends from being enemies. He now committed that message of reconciliation to us, and this is where it always astonishes me. He says, as though God were making his appeal through us. God is actually speaking, but God speaks through us. The message of reconciliation that came to you, God has said not only was it there to come to you, it's also given to you not to end there, it's for you to take it out. In other words, the message that came to us, it came through our ears, it came through our minds, and then eventually settled in our hearts, converted us, and started to transform us. He said the journey of that message has not ended. That message must now emerge from your heart, come through your mind, and eventually not come out from your ears again, but this time it must come out through your mouth. We are God's mouthpieces. God making his appeal through us. We are not just called to hear God speak, we are also called to speak for God. And I pray that at the end of this message, God will stir something in our hearts. That God will somewhat remind us, or God will actually, you know, uh, inject us with passion to remember that we are not just to be hearing God, but we are actually the mouthpieces of God. Amen? Amen. And so that's why we call this um, message, Speaking for God. Speaking for God. Can, I, can we just bow our heads to pray? Just bow your head and just... I want you to say in your own personal way how you want, what you are expecting from God. Tell him you want him to do something. To awaken something in you. To awaken a passion to share the gospel. To be empowered with the wherewithal to spread the gospel. Lord, as we sang that you should order our steps in your word, Lord, I do pray that as you order our steps in your word, you will order us, O God, to understand that we are to take your word out. Lord God Almighty, by your power, we ask this morning that you visit us in a special way. I pray that every inadequacy, O God, that I have, O Lord, you will overcome it, O Lord, and ensure that your people are thoroughly blessed to the praise and glory of your name in Jesus Christ. Amen. So we look at it under these three headings. The presence for speaking the boldness for speaking, and the greatness for speaking. The presence for speaking, the boldness for speaking, and the greatness for speaking. All right, so let's, we're, we're a family, so let's, let's talk about something that we all know. You know, as Christians, there are fewer things that we do badly. In fact, probably some would say that the thing that we don't do very well as Christians is prayer. It's prayer. You know how you, you felt guilty about it, you talk about it, but it's just prayer. It's, and can I make you feel good about yourselves? Can I make you feel good about yourself? It's everywhere. It's everywhere. Every church that you go to, their least attended uh, meetings are their prayer meetings. When you, you are even in service, like some of us were in service, and Kechu was praying, when you heard Kechu is about to pray, like, oh my God, prayer is about to start. <laughs> and then when the prayer is going, it's like, when is this thing going to end? For some of us that are watching online, you know how to target the logging on. You log on, you know exactly when the prayer should have finished. And we're about to enter the section for the word, and then you log on. And then when we're going to pray after the sermon, you know what you do? You log off. For some of us that were entering, just as the sermon started, you are welcome. Don't worry, we don't name and shame anybody here, Toby. All right? Um, so, 
We abide our prayer. And we pray that God will enable us to, although, no, there's one prayer meeting we like. We like when somebody's praying over us. You know when somebody's declaring over us. That one we are good at here. But when we have to pray ourselves, that, that one we have a problem. But can I tell you that there's something worse? Something we do far worse. In fact, we don't even talk about it again because it's like, we are so bad at it, it's like, why should you even talk about it? And you know what that is? Sharing our faith. Sharing our faith. In fact, I didn't, I didn't want to call it evangelism because once I say evangelism, people have different views on that. It's, it's about tracks. It's about going out two by two. It's about knocking on people's doors. People's doors that you don't know. Or that one where you're in the bus. They're like, man, who's going to talk for who? And you're just about to say, pray. Then somebody else said, praise the Lord. <laughs> and you don't know whether they're about to preach Jesus or they're about to uh, sell you one rat medicine that can kill all rats, cockroaches, and all AIDS, cancer, everything, you know, all of that. The evangelism is different things now, different people. But, we are, you know, we do it so badly that, to be honest, sharing of our faith, we can put it in this word, that sharing of our faith has become rare. It's just become rare. Sharing of the word of God or sharing the gospel has become rare. We who are given that responsibility, we don't take it out to all the people in our city, to all the people in our nation. It's both rare and we don't take it to all the people. But again, I want to help you feel good. Even as bad as you are, I want to help you feel good. What is it? It's not just today that the things started to happen. It happened in Samuel's time as well. Notice what he says in verse 1. He says, in those days, the word of the Lord was what? Rare. We're never the new kids on the block when it comes to the problems that we face. And yet, we are told at the end of this passage, Samuel's word came to all Israel. It was rare, but somehow this passage resolves that rarity and it gives us a solution. In other words, even though our problems are not new, the solutions to our problems are also not new. I pray that you will find that solution this morning. Amen? Amen. So here's the first key. If you want to get better at this, here's the first key we must never forget. Notice in verse 20, it says that Samuel was attested as a prophet of the Lord. But here's the first key. Before Samuel became a prophet, he was first a priest. Before Samuel became a prophet, he was what? First a? So let me talk to you about uh, the backstory in chapter 1 and chapter 2. In, in the backstory, Samuel's mom was called Hannah. Hannah was the second wife of Samuel's dad. She was barren. And the thing plagued her so much. So she prayed to God and God didn't answer. She prayed to God and God didn't answer. Then at some point, she vowed that if God gave her this a child, that she would give that child over to the Lord. Verse 22, he says of chapter 1. After the boy is weaned, I will take him and present him before the Lord and he will live there always. In other words, what she was saying when she said he will live there always, she was saying that I will present him to the Lord or I will, and a biblical word is I will sanctify him for God's use in God's house. I will sanctify him for God's use in God's house. Look at verse 28 of chapter 1. So now I will give him to the Lord after she made the vow, she delivered on her promise after he was weaned. She said, so now I will give him to the Lord for his whole life. He will be given over to the Lord and he worshiped the Lord there. He was sanctified for God's use. Amen. So that even at a young age, he was already doing priestly duties and he was dressing like a priest. Verse 18 of chapter 2 says, But Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy wearing a linen ephod. That is, he even looked like a priest as well. And whilst he was ministering to the Lord, back to chapter, uh, chapter 3, verse 1, he says he was ministering to the Lord under the tutelage of his spiritual father, Eli, the high priest. So Samuel was like a priest already before he became a prophet. Let me put it another way. Samuel stayed with God before Samuel started to speak for God. And you, all of us here who would claim to be Christians, what is your identity? Well, the Apostle Peter tells us certain things. He says, Christians, those who are chosen by God, right, chosen by God, 
are also sanctified in the same way. And this time, not just sanctified with oil, we are sanctified by the Spirit to God's elect who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the what? Sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Christ. And part of that obedience gives us another identity in chapter 2. He now calls us, he says, you who are chosen, you are a chosen people, and you are a royal priesthood. He calls us priests, a royal priesthood that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. As priests, what do we do? John, in Revelation chapter 1, verse 5 and 6, says this, To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom, and what? Priests, to do what? Serve. You see, we are not just called as God's children, true, that's one identity. We are not just called as saints, Sanctify that another identity. We are not just called as uh, 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 his chosen. That is another identity. We are also called as his servants. As priests, we are called to what? Serve. That's why when God spoke to Samuel, eventually after he spoke to Eli, what, does, what did Eli tell him to say and what did he say to God? He said, speak, Lord, for your what? Servant. He was already serving as a priest. And so, because he was serving as a priest, it is only those who serve first as priests that can serve God as prophets. You are first his servant as a priest before you become his servant as a prophet. But I want to tell you about Eli's family. For he had two other sons. Samuel was a spiritual son. You saw that twice. He called him my son in the passage. That I read. But he actually had physical sons. Two of them. You know their name? Hophni and Phineas. It's because of Hophni and Phineas, just another thing I learned at Sunday school. They said that every pastor's child is, is, going, is, not, is going to be wayward. It will not happen to my children. Actually, I have two boys. <laughs> Please, everyone stretch your hands forward. I mean, cause every bite. The spirit of Eli will not come my rest of my house. Amen? Yeah. Ah. Ah, wow. Yeah. Thank you. Ah. We spend the time praying for you people. I pray for myself. You are now. All right. But Hophni and Phineas were really bad. And chapter 2 is really about contrasting Hophni and Phineas with Samuel. Look at what he says about them in verse two, 12 of chapter 2. He says, Eli's sons were what? Scoundrels. Scoundrels. Really bad word. And he says, they had no regard for Yahweh. The literal Hebrew translation, and you take it back to English, is this. They did not know Yahweh. They actually did not know Yahweh. And let this shock you. They were in the presence of Yahweh. They were priests. They were serving in the presence of Yahweh, and they did not know him. They were in the presence of Yahweh. They were serving, and they were totally oblivious to the God that they were serving. In fact, they used it to always get the best uh, when they were doing the sacrifices, right? They, they always got the best part of the meat. They were enriching themselves. They were known for sexual immorality. What happened? They used their position in the presence of God to speak for themselves rather than to speak for God. Many of us don't share our faith. Not primarily because we don't know how to share our faith. It is because we are not sufficiently moved to share our faith. We are not sufficiently delighted in the God that we claim to know. The truth is this. What did you expect from Hophni and Phineas? They were in the presence of the Lord, but they were not delighting. They were not fellowshipping with God. How are they going to positively share about the one that they do not know? Many times the first problem that we have about sharing our faith is not an issue of technique. I don't know how to share it. It is not that we don't primarily know how to. It is that we are not sufficiently moved to. Because you must first be a priest before you become what? A prophet. Quite often the thing is we are more moved and because we spend more time and we are more updated by certain things. We are far more attuned to the latest update of the latest influencer. I say latest influencer because they just come and go anyhow. Some of us are more attuned to the latest IPO offering of the latest supposed unicorn. 
I said, supposedly, because they are unicorns today and then they are not unicorns tomorrow. Some of us are more attuned to the latest signing or supposed signing of Man United. Is it coming? Is it not coming? Or is it about? We already know those things. And let me speak to even people in my own whatever. We are so attuned to the latest church attendance figures. And so when we spend our time in these things, of course we will naturally share about them more than the God we claim to know. Our problem is not primarily first that we don't know how to. It is first that we are not sufficiently what? Moved to. We often have no words to speak because there is no presence that we seek. Whereas in this passage, do you know where they said Samuel was? Look at it. Wonderful. Verse 3. It says that Samuel was lying down. He was lying down in the house of the Lord where the ark was. May God find you lying down in his presence. He was lying down there. And the thing that he wasn't lying, at the same time, Eli was lying down somewhere else. He wasn't lying down there as a matter of happenstance. It was something that he was used to. His mother has first, remember what we read, his mother had brought him into the house of the Lord. In chapter 12, uh, in chapter 2, it doesn't just say that he was brought into the house of the Lord. In verse 21 of chapter 2, it says, Meanwhile, the boy Samuel grew up in the presence of the Lord. Guys, it is not just that you have sort of had one encounter. Are you constantly growing in the presence of the Lord? Are you constantly delighting in the presence of the Lord? If you are not doing that, forget what you say about evangelism. I don't know how to say this. You will not be move to. We must first be priests before we are what? Prophets. As he grew in the presence of the Lord, growing familiarity with God prepared him to receive God's word and then share about God's word. Football fans here, you know about this. You know my children a year ago started engaging in football. They first did cars. They did cars, then after, there were no more cars to talk about. So they started engaging in football. And very early on, they didn't say anything about it. But then they started playing PlayStation, FIFA, and they started to grow in understanding of the game, its key players, its key clubs. And as they started to do that, they started to watch. They started to research. They'll go and meet on, before they were talking about, they were thinking about Ronaldo, thinking about Messi. Before you knew it, they started thinking about, I'm not joking, Maradona and Pele. So the more they grew in understanding, the more they loved it. The more they loved it, the more they wanted to share about it. The more they wanted to share about it, the more they actually started sharing about it. Every single morning, one football story or the other, asking me questions until I just say, keep quiet, let's talk about God. I mean, pastors, whatever, you will not, Eli stuff will not happen to me. <laughs> Are you following? It was that after my sons became faithful football priests, they automatically became dedicated football prophets. You know why? Because if you delight yourself in the God of the gospel, you will automatically share about the gospel of God. Listen, guys, the, prof, the priest that you are today will determine whose prophet you are tomorrow. So let me ask you the question, whose priest are you? How much do we delight in God's presence? Because if you are not experiencing anything of God, if you are not meditating on how good, if you are not going deep into the Lord, what about him would you want to share? All of a sudden, it becomes very difficult. It becomes something that is a guilt trip. It becomes something about, well, they said it, I should be doing it. Let me quickly do it here. Maybe there are five of us. Let's go knock out. Oh, yeah, God, I've done my evangelism for five years. I'll see you in another five years. That's what it becomes when we are not taking deep into the Lord. Take me deeper, deeper in love with you. Jesus, hold me close in your embrace. Take me deeper, deeper than I've ever been before. I just want to love you more and more. How I love 
to be deeper in love. Make that commitment today. I'm telling you, nothing anyone will tell you about coaching you and sharing your faith will happen if we only share about the things that we delight in. I talk about my wife all the time for people that know. Why? Because I delight in my wife. We really are moved to share about what we delight in. And let me just quickly add one more thing here. If you delight yourself in the Lord, if you grow in the presence of the Lord, he will not only... You will not only grow in stature and favor with him, you will grow in stature and favor with people. Look at what he says about Samuel in chapter 2, verse 26. And the boy Samuel continued to grow in stature and in favor with the Lord and with what? People. It was because he grew in favor with the Lord, he grew in favor with people so that all is the word of the Lord then came to, or the word of someone then came to all the people. What is favor? As someone has said, favor is not itself the blessing. Favor is what gives you access to the blessing. And so when we grow with favor with people, what happens is we have access to the people. As you grow in favor with the Lord, he sends you and gives you access to the people that you are meant to share your faith with. Amen. Amen. May the Lord grant us favor in his sight. And grant you favor with the people he's sending you to. Amen? Amen? Now, along with willingness that is being moved to share and the access that we get, we do need something to share. We need boldness. And so let's talk about boldness for speaking. Boldness for speaking, second uh, point. Now, I say that because quite often, let's face it, the truth is that we are afraid. We're afraid to share our faith. And we're afraid, for some of us, and maybe some people listening, the truth is, for some people, there are real consequences for sharing their faith. When I mean real consequences, some people can be killed. That, that happens. It's not, we're not making that up. Some people, right, especially in this part of the country, some people can be killed for sharing their faith. Some people can be marginalized for sharing their faith. For most of us, the thing we are most scared about is something called an awkward moment. We, you know, it's just that, wow, now wow, I just bought the whole party. <laughs> Something just punctuated, like we're all just talking, I just say, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ah, just like I was talking to God the other day, I'm like, oh, God, wow. The person will say, you said, I was talking to God, they said, ah, God, what has she done? Like, even she too is acknowledging that there's God. You, it's, it's an amazing thing. We are so comfortable, to, we, we are comfortable, and we, are, we make people comfortable to talk about every other thing apart from God, but when we want to talk about God, we allow that discomfort to also make us uncomfortable. And so we are afraid of that awkward moment. But remember what I said at the first point. I said we are never the new kids on the block when it comes to problems, is it not? So God gave Samuel a word for Eli, we see in verses 11 to 14, right? It was not a very pretty word. And the Lord said to Samuel, see, I'm about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears it about it tingle. And at that time, I'll carry out against Eli everything I spoke up against his family from beginning to end. For I told him, I will judge his family forever because of the sin he knew about, those useless scoundrels again, about, uh, sin he knew about, and his sons blasphemed God and he failed to restrain them. Therefore, I swore to the house of Eli, the guilt of Eli's house will never be atoned for by sacrifice or offering. That was the message that Samuel was meant to give to Eli. And so, what do you expect? <laughs> Verse 15, Samuel laid down until morning and then opened the doors of the house. In other words, he did not sleep. And opened the doors of the house of the Lord. He was what? He was what? Uh, we are never the new kids on the block when it comes to problems. He was afraid to tell Eli the vision. And so many times when we think about the gospel, we say, it is, if I deliver what this thing is, because here's what the gospel is saying. The gospel is good news. It's absolutely good news to everyone. But it is good news because it says some bad things. It says it's good news to you because of the dire situation that you are in. You are a sinner and that you are already under God's judgment. That is what it's saying. But the good news is to remove you from that. But it also says this. It also says, if you reject it, then it don't be for you. Not in the way we just say, I don't be for me because, you know, um, I don't know, I said something about my wife in public that I shouldn't have said. I mean, that one, you sleep somewhere else, you probably will not eat and all of those. Yes, but this one, we're talking about eternally. And we're like, 
How can I say all of those things? And so we become afraid or we lose, as we, we think we lose, boldness to speak. Now, if we are not the first people to encounter this problem, by God's grace, he also gives us a solution. And so here's what I think. If you want to have boldness in attaining your faith, here are three things that this passage teaches us. Three things you must have. Clarity, consistency, and patience. Clarity, consistency, and patience. So let's start with clarity. Now, as I said, the message about that God gave to Samuel to deliver to Eli was very clear. But here is a mistake we must never make. We often think that we can... that. Um, the clarity works against the boldness and it's not, it's not the same. Or let me put it another way. We often think that the opposite of being afraid, the opposite of fear is boldness. That is not true. And let me explain. Remember, Samuel was giving this message. In that message, he says, I will fulfill, I will bring to, um, I will fulfill the word I spoke about Eli, right, and his household. Because there was a prior word that was already given. In chapter 2, verses 27 to 34, there was an unknown prophet that came and delivered a message to Eli, probably about decades before, right? About what was going to happen. Look at, I'll just read verse 30 of that. Therefore, this is what the prophet said, the Lord, or Yahweh, the God of Israel declares, I promise that members of your family would minister before me forever. But now Yahweh declares, far be it from me. Those who honor me, I will honor. But those who despise me uh, will be what? Disdained. Now, question. Did that guy deliver the message? Did he deliver the message? It seemed to deliver it. Did he sound bold as he was delivering the message? Yes. Huh? No. Someone said no. Did he? Yes. Yes. You people like to sit on the fence too much. Yes or no? Then when I now say it, you now be like, yeah, exactly, exactly. Did he sound bold delivering the message? Yes. Uh-huh. He was. Did he sound afraid delivering the message? No. Exactly. Now, let's go to Samuel. Samuel, we are told, is already afraid. Right? Verse 15. But Eli called to him and said, my son, better tell me or else I will swear for you if you don't. And look at verse 18. So Samuel told him what? Everything. And he then puts a qualifier so that you understand. He told him everything and did what? Nothing from him. Was Samuel afraid? Was Samuel afraid? Did Samuel deliver the message? You see, it is possible to be bold and be afraid and bold and not be afraid. Because boldness is not dependent on fear or not. Boldness is dependent on clarity. Boldness is the presence of clarity in delivery of the message, not the absence of fear in delivering the message. The opposite of boldness is not fear. The opposite of boldness is cowardice. And cowardice is when you start to change the message or you don't deliver the message at all. Am I following? Are you following? If some, someone was not, someone was afraid, he was not a coward. Because he delivered the message clearly and he did not hide anything. Someone was afraid because of what the message was saying and because of who he was taking the message to. But he was bold because he delivered the message clearly. What I'm trying to tell you here is this. Don't start obsessing on whether or not you are feeling uncomfortable to deliver the message. Be bold by actually delivering the message clearly. Amen. Amen. Clarity is needed. And for that to happen, for you to deliver clearly, you have to actually know what the gospel is, first of all. Why we can't be muffled about it. We need clarity concerning the message. What is the gospel? There, you can have different uh, definitions. You know, I've done one on it. I, I'm not giving that expanded view. In one short sentence, the gospel is the salvation of the Trinitarian God through Jesus. The salvation of the world through, of the Trinitarian God through Jesus. You have to know that clearly. Not by any other person, but by Jesus. Who does it? Not us. It is the Trinitarian God. Amen. Now, as I said about some of the implications of the gospel and rejecting it and what it's already assuming, it can be a bit awkward. But again, we are not the first people that have the first problem. Paul, Paul himself had a problem with boldness because he had a problem with delivering it with clarity. <coughs> Sorry. 
So that's why in Colossians chapter 4, he asked for prayer. Listen to what he says. And pray for us too, that God may open a door. That's the favor he's asking for, amen? Open a door access. He may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ. Remember, I said that the gospel is salvation by the Trinitarian God through Jesus Christ, amen? Then he now says this. Pray that I may proclaim it how? As I should. But let me quickly say something about clarity. Clarity doesn't mean that you say the gospel in one way. In fact, you show yourself to not truly understand the gospel if you can only say the gospel in one way. Paul, we just quoted, when you read all the letters of Paul, you see it didn't come out the same way. In fact, when you read the gospels of Jesus Christ, you will see that Jesus never spoke the gospel the same way. The one I often like to use is John chapter 3, John chapter 4. John chapter 3, you have Nicodemus. John chapter 4, you have the woman at the well, right? The woman is poor. Nicodemus is rich. She's a woman. He's a man. She's probably younger. He's old. He has political power. She doesn't have. She's Samaritan. He's also, he's what? A Jew. How can you say the same thing to them? They don't have the same problems. They don't have the same objections. You can't take the same message. You can't say the same message to them in the same way. Amen. So you still have to take one message, but that one message comes to all people. When he says, Samuel spoke the word of the Lord to all Israel, all Israel are not exactly the same. All of you here have not come in today with the same kind of problems. Amen. And so clarity means that we understand every shape of the gospel so that we can meet everyone in the way that the gospel comes to encounter them. Nicodemus' problem was an intellectual problem. And so Jesus took him through the scriptures. The woman at the well had a satisfaction problem. So Jesus told her, use the illustration at the well, that you're having too many husbands, you think romance is the thing. I actually have water that you can drink from that you will never thirst again. He gave them the same message. Me, for Nicodemus, for the son of man must be lifted up as, as, as Moses lifted up the, uh, the serpent in the wilderness. I am the, reason, I am the one who uh, is the good news for your bad news. And for the woman, if you drink of my water, you will never ever thirst again. It was pointing to him, but he was pointing the gospel to them in a way that solved the problem that they had. Am I, are you following? That's clarity. Now, if you need, if you want to know more about this, I'm sure they'll put the QR code. There are two messages you listen to. The QR code there so that you can get the link. Two messages that we print about this and give a little bit more expanded view on it. That's um, um, Sermon 60 called uh, on our podcast. Gospel in Lagos. Mission possible. Mission possible. I think there's a mission. Uh, no, it's Top Gun. Sorry. Top Gun has come out. Have you? Another Top Gun. Yeah. But mission, people don't know what I'm talking about. Who has heard of Top Gun? Okay. All right. That's where you have been doing your priestly duties, Abby. That's why you didn't want to talk. Mission possible is one. And then uh, someone number 175, engaging outsiders. Engaging outsiders. But I want you to really see this because Paul shows it to us. If we are going to reach all people, you don't reach all people the same way. Look how Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 20 to 22. To the Jews, I became like a Jew. How? Why? But then to those who are under the law, I became like one under the law for what? I can't hear you well. To the Jews, uh, no, no. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law to win those not having the law. And then, to the weak, I became weak to win the weak. So what is his conclusion? I have become what? All things to all people, so that by all means I may win some. May the Lord give us clarity in our speaking. Amen. Amen. Second thing is consistency. Consistency. Many of us have given up on specific people. Why? Because we've been pursuing them but we got tired. We got tired. Ah, like, when I started with you, I thought you were very close to the kingdom. But Biko is 18 months. You are so far away. They, they, even God self cannot even bring you in. There, there are people like that. See, like, he started off well. He, looked, he was inquiring. He was even coming to church once a month. And now, look, at, last time I saw him, he has already dyed his hair. He has put earrings. He's wearing black lipstick. 
on his mouth. He's wearing, you know, people with black lipstick, they are so far away from the kingdom of God. Oh, ah, Taiwo, no, no, that's not what I meant. I, I, didn't, I, didn't, um, I didn't mean that. I didn't mean that. I, no, 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 I couldn't. I'm like, this guy started close, but it's far. So it's like, well, I've given you over to Satan because that seems like where you want to go. Let us go and look for. So we now start looking for somebody who uh, you saw them praising God there. You now say, quickly, let me quickly tell you. Jesus loves you. You say, hey, Jesus loves you. They do altar call. You came and you say, I was the one. I was the one. It wasn't you. We have already given up on people because we feel like they're so far away or we feel like it's taking too much time. How many times did God call Samuel? Four times before he responded properly. Imagine that we gave up on people. Imagine God gave up on us the way we also give up on people. Let me tell you, me speaking, at between age nine and 10, I went forward. Proudly, I went forward in my full chest. Between age nine and 10, I would say I was a Christian at that time. From age 12 to 13, 14, 15, even my parents, they had, my parents, uh, may God give you good parents. Because they would just be looking at me like, what kind, everybody's standing up in church, me, I'm just sitting down. My parents would be like, what kind, what kind of, how, as in, we have done everything, we have been trained, we've been sharing the word of God with you, and me, I was just like, my mom would say, this boy is hardened, he's hardened. <laughs> but somehow, by age 18, I shouldn't say it, but I'll say it. Because we are family. There was, there was one, there was one beep in school. There was one beep. And I liked her. We had had something going on before. Then she now found God. Oh, God. <laughs> so when you're finding God, I said, ah, we have to, we have to be careful. All this, you know, uh, things can't be the same, blah, blah. I was like, wait, cool down now. Uh, me too, I, I found God before. I know, <laughs> I know this God thing. So me too, I started going to fellowship. I started going to fellowship, I was doing everything so that she would know. I mean, too, I did, I did um, a foundation class. I did, um, eh? No, 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 not workers, not workers. Ah, it's not, it's not here now. <laughs> it's, uh, we are not going there. I did foundation meeting, I did baptism, I did everything. After one year, the babe now called me and I said, man, we have to end it. I said, well, don't, 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 don't play with me. Don't play. Oh, you know how dirty that lagoon water was when I was entering. So, and the worst thing was that she now started going out with uh, the pastor of the fellowship. But that's, uh, that's another, we all know all these bad things, bad things, don't worry. The guy is not a pastor now. Who is a pastor now? Yeah. All right, okay, 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 okay. Let's, give that, let's, give that, let's give that, let's give that, let's give that. You can tell there's still some soft feelings there. So I, I scattered the thing. I beg, man, God, I beg, God, yeah. it's, not, it's not worth it. What's the good of having God when you can't get the baby you want? So I left, I left the stuff. Eating. But mercy said no. Went in riotous living, did everything I wanted, and yet the hand of God, the hand of heaven never left me. Why? Because God is more passionate about saving people than we are. And so the prayers of my parents that never stopped and continued over and over and over again, at some point when I didn't even understand what was going on, at the age of 22, I just felt like I could not keep on going like this. I surrendered and by God's grace, I have not stopped walking with the Lord. Consistency. Let me tell you, sometimes you don't know. The person you have been speaking to for 20 years, you may just be creating dents, little dents, little dents. And eventually, even though you are the one sowing, somebody else comes and reaps. It doesn't really matter. At the end of the day, it is this, that all of heaven is rejoicing because of one sinner that was saved. Don't lose hope in pursuing them. I've heard this story before. If you've heard it before, I'm sorry, um, but let me just say for those who have not heard it. There was a friend of mine who's, and uh, Tosin, actually, first Tosin's friend before he became my friend. The mom and the dad got married, they were not Christians. Then, some years into it, the mom became a Christian. And she was always trying her best to try to lead him. Man wasn't having him. Trying her best, try to leave him. Man wasn't having him. But she didn't leave him. What well, well, Corinthians 7 says, don't. Be like a good wife. And she continued, continued, continued. 10 years, he didn't change. 20 years, he didn't change. 
30 years, he did not change. 40th year, he was traveling on his way to, I think he was traveling on his way, he came from, either he came from Portaco to Lagos or he was going from Lagos to Portaco because he was meant to go abroad. And then immediately, he had something happen to his heart, he collapsed. They took him to the hospital. And the hospital bed, things weren't looking great. At first he was improving, then he wasn't looking great. And then one of his friends, old-time friends from campus came and led him and said, are you still going to keep running away from the Lord? And eventually he gave his life to Christ. Two days after he died. And one would say, if it was just that friend. No, it wasn't that friend. It was the wife for 40 years, never giving up, creating dents, dents, dents all through, so that when once somebody came and God created the conditions for it, eventually someone else ripped where someone else had been sowing. It really doesn't matter. Friends, let us not stop pursuing, for God has a way of pursuing the people that through us, we are God's mouthpieces. He never tells us to stop or to give up. Amen. Amen. Consistency. Maybe right now, there's someone you are thinking about. I want to give you 10 seconds. Because some of us are giving up on some people. 10 seconds. Make that dedication. I'm not going to stop pursuing that person. Make that dedication now. I pray, Lord God Almighty, as your people start to determine at this moment, that person that they have been pursuing, remove them, oh God, from the chains of wickedness, from the chains of unbelief in the name of Jesus now. And let the word, let the gospel that transforms and that converts, let it come, O oh God. Let it come, O oh God, and save them in Jesus' name. Now, final thing is patience. And patience really is rooted, the, the consistency is rooted in the patience. Because consistency is actually the fruit of patience. Or true patience works itself out in consistency. Because patience is not, I was patient, then I don't say anything. Actually, patience is, this is an active, not a passive kind of patience. This consistency continues because we are patient. And it is rooted in something. You see, why we must never be frustrated? What I was saying, why we must never be frustrated? We must never be frustrated. Why? Because again, we have to understand, it is not you that saves. It is God that saves. Amen. It is God's salvation. God saves, not you. But also, it is God's timetable, not your own timetable. And it is God's willingness. He is more willing to save than you. Look, give me 2 Peter 3, verse 9. It's God that saves. It's God's timetable, and it's God who is more willing. Listen, listen to what it says. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. As some understand slowness, we understand slowness in a particular way. That's not how God thinks. Instead, he is what? Patient. With you. Oh, sorry, go to verse 8. Go to verse 8. Verse 8 tells us about the timing. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day to him. So he's not, he doesn't understand slowness in the same way we think about it. His own timetable is rooted in something else. Verse 9, it is rooted in patience. And the patience is rooted in his willingness to save more than any of us. He is not wanting anyone to perish, but what? Everyone to come to repentance. Hakim and Hassan are twins. And last Sunday, they visited my friend's church in, let me not say the city, but in U.S. Why were they there? Because Hakim and Hassan were raised Muslims. They were raised Muslims. So why did he visit the church? Because, and maybe I could tell you a bit of the story. When they were kids, their father, Nigerian immigrant Muslim, their father um, started becoming unsure about, Christianity, about Islam. And so he started exploring Christianity. So he took his family to church. They started going occasionally to church. And so the pastor was intrigued by the man and so he befriended him, and he started talking to him, sharing stuff with him, praying with him. And, you know, he was like, oh, no, this man is just, he's just here. He's just at the tip. I just want to push him a little bit. And so the pastor was really happy about his efforts, and he was praying, kabashing through the night, God, 
bring this man in, God, bring this man in, declaring the promises of God about them, all of those things. So I was happy that it's just a matter of what? Time. Then the pastor found out that the father was doing what we call double dipping. You know what double dipping is? It was dipping in both places. He was unsure about Islam. It's not that he had totally thrown it away. He was exploring Christianity. It's not that he had totally accepted it. So, whilst he was doing the Christian prayers, he was still doing Islamic prayers here and there. Whilst he was going to church, occasionally he was still dipping in the mosque. While he was trying to read this Bible, he was also reading the Quran. When the pastor had the, the pastor, eh? All my fasting, all the time. Is this what? You, I gave you Jesus and you are, you are, you are. Do, do you know who Jesus is? Do, the man found, he found a way and he got the guy's Quran and he burnt the Quran to the glory of God. <laughs> As he did that, the man said, no Christianity, no church. He sealed that door. We're never going. I will never accept a faith where people, holy people of the faith treat holy things in other religions as something that is, that is not sacred. So why were Hakim and Hassan in my friend's church? Because even though they stopped going to church, they had an older sister, Dami. Dami was two years older than them. And Dami was somehow... Church still left an impression on her. So after a number of years, Dami left the city that they were in, came to my friend's city for university. And in university, she had this friend who was patient and consistently inviting her for things, talking to her about the gospel, inviting her, inviting her. Then there was meant to be a carol service, Christmas Eve service. And she kept on persisting. She should come, kept on persisting, kept on persisting with patience. Eventually, Dami attended that Christmas Eve service, and Dami, there was a presentation of the gospel. Dami committed herself to the gospel in, 20, I think, 2017 or 2018, and she had been following the Lord ever since. And so she now became a committed member of my friend's church. And now Dami is praying that in the same way that she left her parents' house and went to university, the boys had now come to university in the same place and now she was inviting them and they came to church. Now, don't get this wrong. They have not converted. Her son is on the verge. Hakim is unsure. But my friend has already learned from that other pastor. He is in what? No hurry. Turn to your neighbor and say, don't be in a hurry. Because one day is like a thousand years to the Lord and a thousand years is like a day. God is patient. God is not willing that any should perish. So whilst one of them has already asked that his prayer mat be brought to him, my friend said, no problem. Pray that prayer, but can I pray for you? And he said, let me pray for you. And by God's grace, he will hear the prayers of his saint. Amen. In fact, I promised my friend, I said that as I'm talking about this thing, that we will pray for Hakim and Hassan. Can we do that for 30 seconds? Can we do that for 30 seconds? Lift your voice for them. That the God that did it for their sister will do it for them. Because God is not willing that any should perish. Save them, O oh Lord God. Let it not be that the, the frustrations and the, 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 the foolishness of one person who was impatient will determine their destinies. Save them to the praise and glory of your name. Amen. Amen. Never forget it. It's God's salvation. It's God's timing. It's God's willingness. So guys, as we get moved to become prophets by being priests, we should be bold by being patient and consistent with a clear presentation of the gospel. If you do that, you'll be able to demonstrate a, a, a boldness. And the more we do it, Samuel was initially afraid, but at some point he was recognized as a prophet. His first time round, he was delivering the word of the Lord. He was afraid. But as he grew up in the presence of the Lord, as he kept on doing it, eventually all Israel attested to the fact that he was a prophet. May people attest to the fact that you are speaking for God in the name of Jesus Christ. But finally, the greatness for speaking. Now someone will say, part of my problem with presenting the gospel is my inadequacy when I compare with other people. I mean, when I hear Tommy and Emmanuel preach and talk about the gospel, they are obviously greater than I am. I'm just not great at it. And so, you know, 
I just try and I do things that I'm, I'm, I'm great at. You know, I'm just great at being there with people. I'm just great at hugging people. Uh, right, it's true. And look, there's a place for hugging. But you know, you don't, when you hug, you don't say, I'm hugging you in the name of Jesus. And then somebody gets saved. It's not that. Say, so, I'm just not great. Listen, I hear you. I mean to, let, let's not, greatness. I want to be great myself. But how does one measure greatness? Especially when it comes to this. Because I think we've got it wrong. If you think it's about the technique that makes us great, you have totally missed it. And let me explain. As you read this passage, what do you think about Samuel? Say, man, Samuel was certainly a great man. As you read this passage, the commissioner of Samuel would be like, if he had this sort of um, start where his mother was barren, and then the mother prayed a certain prayer. It was God that opened the mother's womb. <laughs> Be like, my mom, was already, my mom gave birth to three children before she gave birth to me. There's nothing special about me. See, Samuel was great, but I'm not great. And so let's just assume, and it's true, Samuel was a great prophet. But can I tell you about someone that was greater than Samuel? You see, in 3 verse 21, it says that God revealed his word to Samuel. And in 3.20, it says that everyone attested that Samuel was a prophet. In Israel, this was the, if you like, the commissioning of the prophetic office. The recognized prophetic office. Yes, there were other prophets, other men of God. But God had promised Moses that after Moses, that there was going to be a lineage of prophets. Now, recognized prophets. And Samuel was the first of those prophets. Amen. But after Samuel came some other recognized prophets that spoke the word of the Lord, that were, the word of the Lord was revealed to them, and then they spoke. We had Elijah and Elisha. They spoke the word of the Lord, but man, they also did some incredible miracles. We had Isaiah, Jeremiah, Jonah, Ezekiel. Incredible. We don't know about them doing miracles, but we know this. They wrote some books, some outstanding books. Amen. Who out of those ones was greater than Samuel? Let me tell you, it was none of them. The one that was greater than Samuel and greater than all the prophets, we are told in Matthew chapter 11. His name says, what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you. <laughs> I'm more than a prophet. Go on. In verse 10, it says that this was the one that was prophesied about, that a voice is heard in the wilderness, prepared the way for the Lord. This prophet was prophesied about. Truly, I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen any, there has not risen anyone greater than who? John the Baptist. You can take it up. John the Baptist. He was the greatest of all the prophets. Why? Did John do more miracles than Elijah and Elisha? Did he, when maybe you add Elijah and Elisha's miracles, and he did more miracles than them? In fact, we are explicitly told, he did not do one miracle, and yet he was greater. Why is he greatest of all? Did he write books like Isaiah, and Jeremiah, and Ezekiel, and Zechariah? We are told about John. We are not told about the book that John the Baptist wrote. So why was he the greatest of all? Let me explain. Because notice, John the Baptist and Samuel are very similar. They came on the scene to open a new era. He was the beginning, Samuel was the beginning of something, Samuel was the end of something. And you will notice something about them. Their lives were very similar. How do I know that? Listen. First of all, think about their fathers. Samuel's spiritual father was what? A priest, Eli, a, high, a priest. What was John the Baptist's father? Zachariah, he was also what? A priest. Both their mothers were barren. Both their mothers prayed to the Lord and God answered. And after they gave birth to both of them, they both wrote two wonderful, magnificent songs that we still quote today. They were both also, eventually they became prophets. But listen to here, and this is the difference between both of them. And actually, the difference between John the Baptist and all of them was the word of God was revealed 
to all of them and they spoke the word of the Lord. While they spoke the word of the Lord, John the Baptist, or while the, the word of the Lord was revealed to them, John the Baptist saw the word of God. Whilst, whilst, whilst each of them spoke the word of God, John the Baptist was the only prophet that said, Behold, the word of God who is also the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Oh, am I speaking to somebody? Whilst Samuel was the one who introduced Israel, all of Israel, to the new kings, to Saul, to Saul and to David, John the Baptist was the one that introduced Israel to the King of Kings. And it is on that basis that John the Baptist is greater than all of them, not because of anything he was, but because of who he was directly pointing to. And so in Matthew chapter 11, he eventually says, if John the Baptist is the greatest of all of them, if you are in this kingdom, nevertheless, the least in this kingdom is greater than John the Baptist. We are greater than John the Baptist. Why? Because we can speak about a Jesus that was crucified on the cross, that resurrected, that sent the Spirit. John never said anything about that. So if you want to be great, don't start thinking about how do I do it. Don't start thinking about whether I'm adequate. If God has called you, then God will qualify you. Point to Jesus consistently. Point to Jesus with patience. Point to Jesus boldly. Enter into his presence so that you know, you know just not how to, but you are moved to. Can we rise to our feet this morning? Thank you for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com City Church Love Jesus Love people Love Lagos